Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage, where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. Eric Gundersen is the CEO of Mapbox, a company that provides mapping data for nearly a million developers and companies, such as Snapchat and Foursquare. He was interviewed by Anna Ratala. I suppose we can just uh, kick it off um, with a little warm-up question um, on on entrepreneurship. So what do you think is like the biggest misconception of entrepreneurship? I mean, there are so many aspiring entrepreneurs here. What's like the biggest misconception that you've heard people have? Biggest misconception right now is, is I don't even know where to start on that one. I mean, like, look, there, especially, it's funny how it differs too. Uh, one of the exciting parts of being here at Slush uh, is seeing how many builders are doing a lot with resources and being able to get grants from local governments. And I, I think there's just a the misconception that I have seen again and again and again, I think is the most damaging. Let me frame it like that, is go out, raise, and start building. And it's just like, ah, the, long, the, the more you can get closer to a real product market fit, and like seriously, the closer you can get to having your product really, really used, you're, you're going to then get a better valuation. You're going to be able to raise more money, and then you're going to be able to have a longer runway. And I just, the, the, the longer you, at, in the start, the longer you can wait Uh, and not take dilutive capital and reduce your burn at the start, the the better. And right now, we're just seeing a lot of teams very quickly get get capitalized with with a bunch of cash. And it, it, it I think that's a misconception because it reduces your exits um, if you get overcapitalized uh, too quickly. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like it's kind of a race for funding and you're a successful entrepreneur. The more you raise funding, the more successful you're seen, although, you know, that might not always be the case. Yeah, no, I was smiling as a you know, successful entrepreneur. Look, you, uh, there are many ways to measure success. I think the most important one is that the experience you get building a team around you uh, and really watching the impact your product can have. Uh, but in the, in the end of the day, the, the, this is about ultimately creating business success. And until you're liquid, this ain't over. And so, I mean, I, I appreciate the compliment as walking on stage that uh, I'm a successful entrepreneur. I also have a, a quarter billion lick pref on top of my head right now. Uh, and that's that's real. Well, while we're waiting for the questions to come in on Slido, does anybody from the audience want to ask a question? Hi. So uh, this is Teemukki Vilmaki from Infrakit, and uh, we are uh, using your maps. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have a startup partnership program or something like that in Mapbox. Yeah, so uh, in terms of startup partnership program, I don't really want to be making money off anybody until they're making money off, off using their platform and we're helping make uh, helping you make even more cash. Uh, the reality is uh, a lot of stuff on the free tier. So we used to we used to have a bunch of startups set us up and then we'd do discounts. But a lot of um, a lot of where we are right now in terms of um, the free pricing and volume pricing 
uh, normally let startups uh, be in a really great place, but otherwise just you know hit us up and uh, happy to make sure you uh, you get taken care of. It's one of those things. I mean, we uh, more than uh, more often than not, you'll see us throw out like year-long discounts where you can just like don't pay us for a year and go get your product done. And the more money you have during that year, the longer you're going to be able to build uh, and the better raise you're going to be able to have. And uh, you know, once you go out proper, then 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 you can email us and say, okay, cool, we're growing. But not until then. Makes sense. And we have the first question through Slido. Um, is Mapbox going to end up being the next ESRI of the GIS industry? No, Mapbox is not going to be the next ESRI. Um, look, I, here, uh, ESRI uh, for for most folks. So one, most people probably don't even know what ESRI is. Uh, but for the for the folks that do, it's a gorgeous. It basically allows you to make make maps with your own data. So it's like a data management platform. And it's, uh, it's insanely successful. Uh, I mean, look, this is, uh, if anybody has heard of GIS, it's because Jack Dangerman basically coined, coined the term and uh, built the geographical information uh, system idea up there. And so we're, what we've focused on is, you know, what, what Jack uh, and, and Esri have built over the years is the ability to store a lot of really custom data. And that's, that's the first enabling part for us, right? I want to make it really easy for everybody using Esri or using what other, uh, other kind of data store to then do more with that data. Publish that out. Put that in mobile. Put that on the on on the on the web, and uh, you know a lot of our a lot of our tech uh, nicely complements uh, Esri. You're not going to see us move into uh, going up market and trying to do uh, uh, visual analysis. I'm much more interested in empowering those platforms. So, for example, you know I think a lot of GIS is actually moving over to more traditional business intelligence. You're seeing sites like uh, Tableau, Cognos, MicroStrategy, Map, MapD, like uh, basically a lot of what used to require a really expensive geo platform on your desktop, you can now, you can now do on the web. And those, those web applications and mobile applications are going to need maps. And I want to give those companies the building blocks to, uh, to make their own custom uh, GIS as part of other applications, so I think uh, I think Esri is going to continue to be super successful because you're going to just need a lot of data management, um, whether that's in the mining space or the government space or whatnot, uh, utility space. But I think I think what was a specialty field uh, is about to become much more mainstream, uh, thanks to thanks to larger business intelligence applications. I mean, everybody needs to use the map as a canvas to analyze their data, and we want to be powering those uh, those apps. Somebody's actually asking a follow-up question. What did the previous question mean? Can you explain to the audience what do these terms mean? Because I yeah, think there might so, be some... So literally, uh, e e ESRI is the acronym for, for, this, for the company. So it's a, and they actually go by Esri now as a full company name. And uh, these people started building a, a database back in 1969. And uh, today, they're doing $1.4 in revenue. Uh, based uh, in uh, in the outskirts of of LA, and so uh, they've they basically every government in the world is using their their data store. Uh, 
So that's uh, that's a little bit about 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 Esri and yeah. It's good to clarify. Good that you guys ask. Um, all right. The next question: Have you had any previous ventures that failed miserably? And if yes, what were the biggest things that separate Mapbox from those? So a uh, full on full on company failure? No. Uh, full on project failure? Uh, yes. And so we've. There have been times where we've gone down paths spending, you know, I'd say arguably hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars on certain build initiatives. And you, you, you realize they're not going to work. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of, you, you, hear this, um, you hear this liner a lot. It's like, you know, you, you never feel you, you know, after you fire somebody, you never feel like you waited, uh, you waited too long, right? Um, after you shut down a project, uh, it wasn't ever like, oh man, I wish I just waited a little longer. No, it's uh, you know you the when you see something not working, uh, you got to address it. And I think where where I failed most on on shutting down a, a project and letting it burn too much um, was not structuring good context for the team and the owner of the team to report out. So basically, not establishing clear KPIs, clear descriptions of what a win looks like. And the, the worst part is not burning the money. The worst part's burning your team, right? Like just a team, by the time you know something needs to get shut down, the team's known that for, for six months, right? And so really it, it, can, be, it, can, be incredibly, uh, it can be incredibly draining on a, on a, on a team. So uh, honestly, frame expectations well for not just whoever's managing the team, but the team members them, themselves, so they have an idea of what a successful outcome looks like. And I, I really try to push as much of that in a really flat way across the organization where, te- that, that, you know, if I see a lot of the job of managers to set context, I see a lot of my job to set context. And um, if you set the right context and hire smart people, uh, and if the outcomes are clear, then then you're going to get to a point very quickly when you realize something's not achievable and you can save a lot of resources. And um, I think that's really where the term fail faster should come from, as being better organized and stuff like that, because otherwise, like, just really try not to fail. Uh, it's, it's a massive waste of time and money. Um, that's, a, that's a great advice. Um, does anybody in the audience uh, right there have a question? Okay, hello. Um, uh, we are spending a ton of money to TomTom and Inrix for um, traffic and congestion data. Um, where are um, uh, Mapbox uh, going in that direction? Are you also going to offer live traffic and congestion data soon? Yeah, so uh, the question is in regards to uh, Inrex and TomTom. So uh, there, this is, I want to answer the question less about responding to how we f- fit from a price standpoint. I'll, I'll, I'll say that at the end. But just so everybody gets a, gets a sense of the space, there are only four sets of global data in, in the world, right? So you've got Google, you've got TomTom, uh, you've got here, uh, formerly Nokia. Here is uh, here maps, as everybody uh, knows. And uh, then there's uh, then there's us with OpenStreetMap. And I would say the difference, you know, TomTom and, and here are doing really well selling into the auto space, and uh, have done a really nice uh, like they like this is really traditional data collection, cars driving around, high attention to detail quality. Their team really gets good data quality. Um, but I think as a lot of people in this room are starting to see, there, there's a change happening where 
being able to update the map in real time, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you have turn-by-turn -turn directions unless you know how to avoid traffic and truly, uh, truly have a map that's that's living, that's that's being updated live. And we're at this amazing moment in time, which I am, am seeing through all the halls of slush, where the proliferation of sensors is, is exquisite, right? So, you know, fast forward to today, we, we have 350 million people touching our maps every month. And and what we're able to do with that is is not just provide a, a great like experience as you as you zoom in, zoom out. As you zoom in, zoom out, as you move, you know, we're collecting anonymized, aggregated location data back, latitude, longitude, timestamp, elevation. This is the stuff where you can actually see new roads come on. This is the stuff that can show you the traffic. And it's that decentralized sensor network that every time a new developer launches with us, your users benefit from that. And those users then feed back into the system. And I think more and more other app developers especially a lot of people we've met with in the last two days, are, are starting to see those network effects as, uh, as, as uh, mobile and the sensors in the phone get even, uh, give it, get even stronger. Uh, so we're collecting about 200 million miles of anonymized uh, data a day. Uh, and that, um, that makes for some pretty awesome traffic. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Inrex does a lot of good work selling, selling to governments and doing some certain kind of traffic analysis and whatnot. And if you're looking to just have a raw traffic feed, Inrex is, um, seems like a good source, sourcing from fleets. We're taking a different kind of tech approach than both Inrex and, uh, and TomTom. And I think, there's some, I think there's some advantages uh, to our approach uh, based on how the world's changed in the last couple of years and the proliferation of sensors. There's actually a follow-up question with regards to the product as well. Why should my app choose Mapbox over Apple's MapKit or the Google Maps uh, SDK? Yeah. So, uh, look, Google has a gorgeous... Uh, gorgeous map, gorgeous uh, API, and you can overlay, you can put anything you want on top of the map, right? You can put your markers on and whatnot. What, the, the difference between Mapbox and, and like a Google, same, same, same with Apple, uh, you know, Google and Apple have built one map for everybody. And it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Google, Google's crushing it, right? They, they did 1.5 billion in revenue uh, for ads just on the map. Right, so I mean, Google's going to continue to invest a, a ton in this uh, amazing experience, and this is a company that brought you confirmation click-through advertising. Well, what better way than to know when you search for a brick-and-mortar place that 30% of all searches for a brick-and-mortar place you go there in 24 hours? Right, there's this in insane feedback loop, and it, it plays really well to uh, Google's position uh, as a as a consumer product. What we're more interested in is focusing on the developer and developers that want uh, a high degree of flexibility. So just like Google needs to own their own map and own that flexibility to build their own product, we think every other developer out there needs to own that. So we put out building blocks, almost like Legos, that allow you to say, hey, I want to be able to design a map just like this. I want to put my data exactly into the map. I want to control just this feature of the ETA and funnel this into my ride-sharing program and increase efficiency. So by giving you the exact building blocks, you can make a highly custom experience. And that custom experience radically changes the efficiency of, of your app. And I mean, the difference here is we're not talking about it being a price point. Yeah, you, yes, we're making money uh, when, when we sell, but you're saving money by definition of the efficiency that you're using with location. So we're really obsessed with uh, customization and, um, and building, a, building a framework just for developers. So while, you, you know, if you, if you need an out-of-the-box map 
you know, Google Google's amazing. App, Apple's fine. Uh, but if you if you want to be able to, you know, do anything more than just putting something on top of the map, you need access to the underlying data. You need access to the underlying code, and uh, that's that's what we're trying to trying to op open up. So we have different business incentives. Great. Well, if we move a little bit away from kind of the product into a more kind of grand vision, um, there's a question on Slido. Um, because there are a lot of um, impact businesses at Slush this year and kind of every year. How is Mapbox making the world a better place? <laughs> no, so one of the... One, one of the most exciting parts about being here is how many people started their companies because they they had a higher they had a higher mission, right? Like, look, my, my background wasn't computer science. I'm not from Silicon Valley. Um, I was doing I was doing economics, trying to work for folks like the World Bank and UN and and help them build better experiences on the ground for local communities and. While we're working on the ground doing projects, guess what? We, we needed maps. So uh, literally over the years, we started building our own tech and didn't just build it as a product, but built a product and at the same time started releasing core parts that were open source and started investing in open data communities like OpenStreetMap, open addresses, Wikidata. And the, the reality is it's... You can you can make the world a better place, and you don't need to be doing it for overly altruistic reasons. Like it's it's actually good for you. It's good for your business for you to make the world a better place. And I think there are some investors that are starting to get that and really care about uh, double bottom line and see that. But honestly, when we were first starting, like the word open source was toxic to a lot of investors. They're like, ah, what's going to be IP? Da 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 da. Even as even as recently as like a year ago, we were getting shit for um, uh, some of the testimony we were doing on Capitol Hill about how software patents are just bullshit. Uh, and I think uh, I think what's important to realize is your product. By, by releasing open source code, you're creating an impact greater than just your team, greater than just your product, greater than just your business. You're letting other people in the space go out there and build something cool. And next thing you know, it, it, it has major ecosystem effects. I mean, the fact that you know, the, the founder of GIS, um, back to the first question, Esri, was able to go use our open source code um, or like TomTom just launched uh, an API a couple weeks ago. All of that's using our open source vector tile spec. Like that's that's awesome. Like the community itself is getting better, and it's it's even more awesome because you know we're better at rendering vector tiles than anybody. So once people start using it, they're going to want to actually come over to something better. Like you can influence the entire space and influence the entire entire community. So I this is not this shouldn't be put out to be this. Oh, let's go do you know. Oh, you know, a .org on the side. No, Mapbox is never going to have a .org. We're, we have a .com, and we have clear mission alignment where what's good for the business is also really good for, uh, for the community. And I, uh, it changes who you work with in a really good way. But do, do you think, do people understand what your decision of, 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 of having an open source, or do you get a lot of critique and be like, why, like, that doesn't make, like, you know, why do you do that? Yeah. Or are people like, that's we, awesome, we, like, you, like, everybody should yeah. do that. We used to. Uh, we used to get a lot of blowback where it's just like, wait a minute, like, why is this open source? What do you own? Oh, do you, you know, the, the fun one is, oh, you know, Mapbox, you just take OpenStreetMap data, right? 
it's like, well, no, shit, no. We, we're actually taking all the sensor data, working with like, open, uh, uh, open communities. We're buying a lot of data. Every map takes in about 130 different sets of data. So, you know, you just, ha you, you just have to explain, explain again and again and again um, uh, through it. But I will say that in the last two years, especially the investor community has gotten a lot more receptive and open to being open source and they're starting some of them are starting to understand the benefits right how evolved are you with the talent strategy or recruitment process at mapbox very and also not at all so i am not a ceo that needs to interview everybody we hire uh and haven't been for four years something like that uh, what I'm obsessed with is making sure the right team leads come in and my involvement is sitting down with strategic people that we really want to hire and talk to them about the larger larger vision. One. Two, I'm also really involved with the people side of the house, working directly with our VP of people. Um, Zaina came in from Yelp. Uh, we brought it. Oh, by the way, invest on your people side of the house as early as possible. Uh, it will avoid dumpster fires. Um, so we, uh, we brought in Zaina, uh, who grew Yelp pre-IPO from 450 people to 4,500 people and uh, built up a recruiting team uh, that's super technical, that follows some really good processes. And you got to put in, you know, again, you, you only want processes that help generate good product. But having certain processes around recruiting is super, super important. And it's been, been really key for us uh, growing a, a, diverse, uh, a diverse team. And you know, you, you, you'll be shocked how fundamental unconscious bias can be. And unless you put in a couple disciplined approaches to, to, to interviewing and really have certain people focus on top of the funnel, uh, you're, you're going to have some unpleasant statistics as, as your team grows. And uh, the reality is collective IQ and the more diverse, you know, whether, that's, whether that's culturally um, or, uh, or different sexes or different anythings, different experience and perspectives make for a smarter team. And the faster you can bring that together, the, the better. Very true. You're as strong as your team is. So um, here's a fun question. What is your favorite map projection? Uh, that's a that's a great that's a great troll. Um, no, we we uh, we are very big fans of the of the Google uh, Mercator projection, despite how that disenfranchises large sections of the world uh, because of simplicity. And uh, I think we're okay with that at this uh, at, at this point. The nice part is you can edit your vector tile format to do um, different uh, different projections. I just saw Noah uh, making sure that the ice caps are properly properly warped in. Uh, in the north and whatnot. Um, what would you say to those companies who are afraid to outsource and partner with companies from Eastern Europe due to political situation? Uh, on one hand, don't don't outsource. We, uh, I mean, literally, it's good. Like, if you're, you get. I think to build good tech, you have to have the people on on your team. That said. Creating a, you know, creating a team in, in the, to the second half of the question, I think there were two parts there. So one, try not to outsource. Find great people, bring them into your company, help them become part of the process, understand the larger product vision. If they're doing important work, uh, you're going you're gonna to want them close. And I think it's really complicated to outsource tech. Um, that said, the, the second part of the question kind of insinuated, like, well, 
you know, about political, like, is there a reason to not do it for political reasons? I think there's a reason not to do it, but there's definitely not a reason to work in the, uh, work in uh, Eastern Europe. It's amazing. Um, I mean, what's, look, I think, I think what you need, wherever you work, you should go to places that have, um, just an exciting, exciting developer community and a developer ecosystem. Uh, one of the things that really separates uh, Eastern Europe from, uh, from a lot of other places uh, is uh, they're really good education systems. And you have, a, honestly, you have a lot of people really good at math. And we're kind of entering a, a, an era where if you're going to be doing anything on AI and uh, in deep learning, you're going to want people that uh, that are that are great at math. And so it's been it's been fantastic setting up operations in uh, Minsk, Belarus. And yeah, look, I mean, as a, I mean, the first time I heard, uh, look, most Americans don't even know where where Belarus is. The only time it's been on the front page of the New York Times in a couple of years is because the largest NATO, uh, the the largest military exercises um, against NATO were just run by the Soviets and. September. So yeah, I mean, Mapbox went to what I believe the New York Times just called the last dictatorship in Europe to set up, uh, set up an open source hub. And the government's been incredibly welcoming and the community's awesome. So fight, you know, fight stereotypes just because like the press likes to get in on something. Nothing's, nothing's black and black and white uh, as, as much as the press uh, likes to make it out, out to be. So so coming back to your earlier point, like don't outsource and, and actually hire the good people, but how do you find them? I mean, I think that that's the one challenge that every single tech company is, is faced with. How do you find the good guys, the good developers? Like where do you find them and how do you retain them as well? So uh, two really practical things and then two more like meta things. This is a great, great question. So practically by putting out a lot of our projects on GitHub, we started identifying other people working on similar problems. And more than that, we, we encouraged contributions. So by spending some time documenting what you're building, putting that out on GitHub, you, next thing you know, you're, you're, gonna get a, you're gonna get an issue filed. And you're gonna start talking to and working with other people. So the, just like doing open source development truly in the open is a really great way to attract talent, but not just attract talent, get a feeling of what it's like to work with people. Uh, two, sp spend the time communicating about what you're doing. Uh, the, I'm sure the, 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 one of the jokes internally is that I'm you know, the editor-in-chief uh, of Mapbox because I, I used to run the blog, honestly, up until about a year and a half ago. Literally, I would be reading and writing and encouraging people on the team to write, to, to, to share the vision, to be repetitive, to put in context the kind of code we're building. And that, uh, that attracted a lot of people because it, you got to bridge the technical work that you're doing and the product impact that you're having and the social good that you're having. So, you know, by us taking time to talk about the relief mapping work that we were doing in Haiti, that was a while ago. Uh, fast forward to um, Nepal, right? You start seeing these instances. Spend time talking about the details. Spend time showing off what good people in open source communities are. It starts creating an ethos out there that will start attracting other like-minded uh, like folks. Well, that's a great, uh, great answer and I think a great way to wrap up. We're unfortunately out of time. So thank you so much, Eric, uh, for joining hey, us thank today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you all.
Thanks for listening to the Slush Podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 